Hey, everybody. Welcome to the John Reiner podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me. It's been a couple of weeks. I know I had a baby and then the world just kind of turned uh, really, really busy. So, you know, it, it happens. But I am extremely excited to be back at it and with my guest today, Rebecca Stewart. Uh, Rebecca is a survivor of a traumatic childhood, a caretaker to her mother, and a cheerleader to those that can't see the light at the end of their caregiving tunnel. It was in her caregiving that she experienced the worst emotional pain of her life. In this place, she had an experience with the power of God that gave her the strength and guidance to find inner freedom in her caregiving. Rebecca was called to share her caregiving model inside her memoir called Unbinding Love and the complimentary access to her e-course, 10 Steps to Finding Peace in Caregiving. She's built a community through her content creation on her podcast and YouTube channel titled Cheering Past Challenges. Cheering Past Challenges is a community designed to empower caregivers that once felt powerless. The uh, community seeks to step out of the burden, anxiety, and stress of caregiving and into the freedom and inner peace found through the 10 steps to finding peace in caregiving pillars, faith, grace, surrender, and hope. So please, if you are seeking to find peace in your caregiving, know that you are welcomed in the Cheering Past Challenges community with open arms. You can head over to cheeringpastchallenges.com to listen to Rebecca's podcast. Rebecca, thank you for joining me on the John Reiner podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so blessed to be here. Oh, so I have had many Facebook messenger conversations with you and text conversations with you and a couple short phone conversations. I have had the honor of teaching your daughters in a couple uh, classes on uh, faith and religion and the Holocaust. But Mm -hmm. I think this might just be the longest conversation that you and I have ever had. And I am excited. I'm excited (laughs) about that. Um, So first, uh, man, what a great uh, bio that you have so much of your heart is helping caregivers. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to just repeat that you do have the podcast cheering past challenges and you do have the book unbinding love that people can find on Amazon. Correct. Yes. Yes. So we published in February and it's the big deal, but I would just want to say to God be the glory. I have no business being here other than to serve (laughs) the Lord. So (laughs) yeah, you are uh, man, this was a big year for you. Um, you are a, you're a wife, you're a mother, you're a homeschool teacher. Um, you're a caregiver and now you're an author and a podcast host. That's just, that repertoire just keeps building. That resume just keeps building. So that's how, you know, when it's a God thing, when you are totally not equipped to do something and the Lord tells you to do it and you're like, why Lord, why, (laughs) why that? And then you do it and you're like, yeah. And so that's how you know. That's how you know if it's a you thought or a God thought, if it's bigger than you and you're willing to take it on. You know, just wanted to say that in case anybody's listening. Uh, yeah. 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 Okay. So, uh, obviously, a big reason that I have you on, um, you've listened to the John Reiner podcast. So you know a little bit about what I do here. I'm yes. all about, I love stories. I love stories that bring inspiration. Um, and so, your story. Uh, even though we haven't had that many interactions, your story just uh, immediately stood out to me. Uh, our first interaction, yeah. I think it was a couple of years ago at a, a women's conference at yeah. our church. I think it was the first time that we had much interaction and the first time that I was introduced to your incredible mother. Um, <laughs> and so 
I want to talk about your story. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about you and I want to talk about your story. And then I want to land on how you're helping other people with similar stories. And so I had the honor of um, kind of getting a, an early release of your book, Unbinding Love, yeah, uh, which I just zipped through, just yep. zipped through. Um, and so much of it is just raw honesty about your life and your upbringing yeah. and your childhood. And so, I mean, so much respect and honor to you for being willing to share all of that. And I know it comes from a place of being able to help others. Mm-hmm. Um, so for anyone who hasn't yet, and I mean yet read your book, uh, cause I want them to go and read your book, but for anyone who hasn't yet read your book, mm-hmm. take us into, um, kind of the beginning of when you realized your childhood story might be a little bit different than other people's childhood stories. Everyone's got a mother, everyone's got a family. Um, but you write in your book that yeah. there are certain moments where you realized this might be not be everyone's story. Take us into uh, take us into your world. Okay. Well, first and foremost, like I said, I started writing it because God asked me to. So I'm going to explain to you that story. Um, my husband and I signed up for Alpha at first free. And, mm. and we were new to the church and we wanted to make friends. And we did. We made amazing lifelong friends uh, in the Alpha group and learned about Christ. We already felt like we knew. We felt like we were like, you know, the the cool kids, like we know everything. And then you go and you figure <laughs> out, I don't know everything. And so it was yeah, just yeah. such a beautiful experience. And they had a night called Holy Spirit Night. And it's where you just sit in the room and you just feel the music and you feel God and you feel Holy Spirit. And some people laugh, some people cry, you know. And for, for me, it was, I got quiet and I heard... God say, you need to write a book about your mom. And I was like, what, Lord? I'm homeschooling. I don't have time. I can't do this, Lord. Like, no, not me. Um, But then I heard him say, get the kids involved. Like, this is going to be a family thing. And so I did. I went home and I talked to my husband. And of course, like the whole car ride home, I was like, honey, do you think I can do this? And he's like, yeah, (laughs) I think you are incredible. And Mm -hmm. you have been through a lot with your mom and with schizophrenia and with adjusting and And I've learned the hard way. Like I, when I first became her legal guardian at 21, I was junior in college and I didn't know what I was signing it up for. I didn't know all of the responsibility. Like my mom was going to become my child and I was going to have to be responsible for Mm. her and make decisions. And one day I was going to have to pull out all her teeth and she wasn't going to talk to me for three Mm. months. And so, you know, I just, so I just started thinking about what is it about this story that might help others? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is, it's, it's sad when you think about what she's been through, but she was a woman of faith and she went mm-hmm. above and beyond her diagnosis. She actually went and got a, a teaching degree and mm-hmm. she was somebody that firsthand taught compassion. She taught me how to have faith because I needed that faith because I knew that I wasn't able to do it on my own. I knew that I wasn't enough by myself. I knew that I could see every therapist and read every self-help book in the in the universe. And it was not going to give me the power that the Holy Spirit would give me and that God mm-hmm. would give me. And so that's where I just started. I started with raw journals about the stories about what what it was like first living in that situation of not having food, living in poverty. Still to this day, um, I can't go places without having snacks in my purse because I might starve to death. Mm. Um, so when somebody kind of, you know, is through trauma, it impacts you forever. It doesn't change. And that doesn't mean necessarily that it's a bad thing. It just means that 
okay, this is a part of myself that I have to accept. And then once I do, I can, I can move on and, and I can maybe share it with someone else. And then mm. that gives them permission to yeah. share their, their stories. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So yeah. you mentioned it a couple of times um, that your mom growing up, she was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, yeah. How did that, you, you describe it in the book. How did that impact you as a young, as a young woman and trying to navigate life? And then, like you said, at 21, you became her legal guardian. How did that, how did that just impact your story and your view? Yeah. So I always believed I was damaged goods because of that. I, I was extremely mm -hmm. embarrassed growing up. Um, so my mom had it since she was 19 in the family of seven, two of the girls had, uh, been diagnosed schizophrenia, mm. although my aunt, it's different uh, than her. And I talk about that on my podcast, that not all mental illness is the same. Uh, so mm. when I talk about her, I'm trying, I'll try to explain it to someone like they've never seen it before. Um, she'll, a loving, bubbly, attractive 19 year old girl that all of a sudden ran away from home and couldn't talk, couldn't articulate any of her words. She was scared. She was frightened. Her dad was going to kill her. And they took her to Winnebago Mental Health Institute, which is like a prison. Mm -hmm. And she lived there for two years trying to get on the correct meds. So even today, if you meet somebody that has an adult child that say they're in their teen years and they're just starting to develop schizophrenia, it can take two years to find the right medication to just stabilize them. And even in that, you have challenges. But for my mom, it was either she was like cool and bubbly and great. And then all of a sudden she was getting messages off her TV and she was like, whoa, uh, hmm. you know, and, and then it was like, she was in another world. Hmm. So she navigated that. And then she got out of Winnebago and she met my dad and they got married and they agreed that they were never going to have kids because of her condition. Cause it was hmm. just obviously too much to maybe be a parent. Sure. sure. And so when she had me, which I don't know why they, you know, at the end of their relationship fell pregnant. And so mm -hmm. she was a single mom raising me and she did for the first seven years. And I think she did a fantastic job yeah. considering everything, but probably at that age around seven or eight, when other moms are going to PTO meetings and stuff, my mom wasn't able to do that. My mom lived a very simple life to keep things under control uh, mentally. So that meant she wasn't able to hold a job. She wasn't able to um, volunteer, do anything like that. She lived a very simple life while on medication. But then one day, as I talk in my book, things started getting really bad where she you know, she turned internal. She stopped talking to me. Uh, she threw away all my books and I went to school and I told my teacher, I said, I don't know. My mom threw away all my textbooks. I must've done something wrong. And so the teacher kind of had a heads up. And, hmm. um, I think that's probably what led to a phone call. So my parents were divorced and, uh, hmm. eventually my dad picked me up and I never went back into that house. And then she was, um, transferred to several psych hospitals and, and it took her about two years to get out of that one. And, and, and when I say psych hospitals, I mean, they would put her in a, you know, in a room and do everything in their power to prevent her from drinking her own urine, mm. uh, eating her, her gown, whatever they gave her. Mm -hmm. She was totally out of it. She totally mm. didn't know what she was doing. And mm. The only thing that got her out of that place was shock therapy. 
And a lot of people hear that and go, oh my gosh, that's awful. Right, right. But it saved her life. Hmm. So as a young, as a young woman, you're removed from that house, you're living with your dad. Um, kind of around places for a while. So okay. with her parents for a while, because there was a little bit of ooh, custody and you know, there's all mm-hmm. sorts of things happening. But eventually, yes, I lived with my dad. And um yeah, it it was it was tough. And I think I think where you were going with your question was how did that impact me as a young daughter growing up? I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was embarrassing. I didn't want other people to know that things were different. Um, as I got older and she kind of rehabilitated, which I'm gonna talk about because I feel really passionate about um mm-hmm. we need more places and homes for people that are kind of in between. Um I I just I definitely can remember times where uh, I had a best friend. We were in the car. My mom should have never been driving on all her meds. And she just like smoked the the light pole, you know, like in the city. And we were oh. just like, what just happened? And so stuff like that was always happening. And the, the friends that were close to me knew about her illness and they understood it. But everyone else, it was a really good job of showing that I was a good student. I was perfect. I was, mm-hmm. you know not going to let anybody know the truth that I really believed I was damaged goods. And I kind of did about her too, because I saw it as a weakness. I saw her crying. I saw her not holding a job like other moms. And I started to just believe this lie that, that I was a part of that. Hmm. And so what came out of that for me was this when you need say, to be perfect. Uh, like this a part of that, when you say that you were a part of that, did you almost feel like a sense of blame? Like, it's my fault that mom is like this or no. what did you mean by? I, I, I was the same family unit as her. Oh, okay. So I think it being a child like that, that's how I perceived it. Sure. I okay. perceived it as, you know, going to the family reunion with my cousins and I'm the only one without a parent. <laughs> I sure. still do that, sure, sure. Yeah, you yeah. know? So, um, you know, why didn't I have a, a mom like other moms? I wasn't able to mm. go shopping with her and talk about boys and right. all the things that I can't wait to do with my daughters. I, I wasn't yeah. given that chance, but through faith now, I see mm. how God has blessed me in other ways. Hmm. So um, you become legal guardian at 21 and you're yeah. in college. What are you studying in college? Yeah. So I was an English lit major. I wanted to teach English and I was approaching the end of school and trying to get through finals. And I remember specifically her starting to slip. And when I mean slip, she would run through the hallways naked and the police would come and they would call me and the landlord would call me. And I'm like trying to just be a normal college student and hang out with friends. And I've got to drive from Madison to Oshkosh where she was and, and, um, handle things. And sometimes it was a weekend hospitalization. And Mm. for anybody that's listening to this, that was mental health, you can't just take your loved one to the hospital when they're sick. They actually have to voluntarily want to go. So in the beginning, it was a lot of trying to talk her into, okay, you, we, we need to get your meds figured out. Let's Let's go see if we can get you sleeping again mm. and that kind of thing. And it was always a, f- a friction. It was always fighting. And that's really what it feels like to love somebody with mental illness. I talk about it in my book. It's like being in the rain without an umbrella. Mm. And 
everybody else has this umbrella. Like when they're mm. sick, they can just go in and get fixed. You know, you break an arm, it's no question. You're going to get that cast. But when it comes to mental health, it isn't that simple. Their rights are protected. So I can't, um, and even when I became her legal guardian, I still didn't have the right to just take her in and get help. Hmm. So I had to get kind of smart and almost conniving about how to get things done. Um, sometimes it even involved tricking her a little bit, which I felt guilty about. But that's where I'll lead with moving her into assisted living, which was one of the most awful parts because uh, she had been living in her apartment in her low income apartment since I was a young child. And if you can picture an apartment filled with all sorts of, you know, clothing and, and dishes, and she had all sorts of stuff. And I knew I had, I'd become her legal guardian because she was mentally competent, which means I had to take care of her or someone else had to take care of her. Hmm. And so I found a CBRF, which is a community-based residential facility and um, had her go to my 93-year-old grandma's house. And she stayed there for a week. And I literally went through all her stuff. I donated it. I set up her room super cute. And then I picked her up. And uh, we were driving home. And I just took her to the park. And I said, Mom, you have a new house. And she was like, what? And she was still able to talk. And you yeah. know, at that point, it was very... She was in her late 50s. She was young, but she needed the help. And she went and it worked out better than I think it should have. I think she probably, I think if it would have been me, I would have killed my kid, <laughs> you know, but they didn't write books on how to do this. And so, um, and I didn't have any friends that knew how to put someone in assisted living or how to yeah. take care of someone with an illness like that. Um, yeah. There's just not any manuals. Were you 21 at that time or was this after that? Yeah, I was 21. a, I was a, I think junior or senior because I had just finished up finals and I had just started dating my husband. So he remembers that and how awfully stressed out I was about the move and what I was doing. It was just inexperience. And I talk about that more in my book about how many caregivers and the majority of caregivers are women over the age of 45. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know very many women over the age of 45 that aren't caregiving or taking care of somebody, yeah. but majority are that demographic. And here I am like a baby and yeah. I'm doing everything wrong. Um, and I'm feeling the burn. I'm feeling the pressure of um, guilt and feeling ashamed of um, not only kind of where I was coming from, but then was I handling things appropriately? And then you've got family that's asking, does she need medicine? Are you sure? And just all sorts of things. And I had to, I had to come to eventually a place where I would surrender that, you know what? I don't know exactly what I need to do for my mom or myself, but I'm going to surrender in this and I'm going to hand it over. And that was the beginning of my faith piece. And then later on, I figured out that there are actually four pillars to it, to a balanced caregiving, which is the faith, grace, serenity, and hope. Hmm. Hmm. Um, real quick, I don't want to, uh, the point of this is not to, you know, glamorize the difficulty of, of your mother's life, but you, you do, you know, you, you identify yourself as a survivor and the, and the trauma. And I think sometimes it's, it's understanding that to realize where did I come from by looking at the context of it. And 
So just a couple of things uh, more on that. You're, you said your, your husband now is introduced into the story. What, yeah. what was that like to bring someone else from the outside of your family context into your world? Was it, um, cause I'm sure there's other people who might be caregivers of, of individuals with mental health or, or have other individuals in their family or within their sphere with mental mm-hmm. health and who might just feel like, I don't, I just can't, I can't bring someone else into this world. It's not fair for them. It's not fair for me. It's not fair for who is it not fair for? Um, I hear that a lot for some reason. It's not fair. It's not fair to them. It's not, what was that like then to bring your husband into that world in honesty and transparency and try to juggle this? I'm 21 years old. I'm a college student. I have a boyfriend and now I, I'm a caregiver to my mom. So I'll tell you right now, it's like when you're dating and you're like, hey, everything's good and great. I mean, there's stuff that he didn't find out until five years in. Thank God I have a loving and I mean, I rock. And he didn't have the same things that I went through at all. He had parents that weren't divorced. He had only had a one, you know, household situation. I had step siblings, step parents. I had been a recipient of sexual abuse, which I won't go into a ton about. But when I talk about trauma, you know, he hadn't experienced things like that. I had, mm-hmm. and um, he didn't know about the sexual abuse until like five years in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what show I was watching. It was like a YouTube show or someone where a Christian pastor was putting down a woman for not letting her husband know right away, like, Hey, I had violated. And when I heard that, I just thought you've got to have compassion. You've got to understand Mm -hmm. that everybody has a past in their childhood. No one, you know, comes through life in a perfect world, right? Like I think we're all Mm -hmm. broken and we all have parents that want to do their best and they can't. Like I look at my parents They didn't intend on having me, but they did. And they both did the best they could. Um, There's a book by Dr. Tammy Smith called Soul Healing, where she talks about there's, you know, um, wounds of omission and wounds of commission. So your parents might deliberately hurt you, or they might just not be there. You might just have a mom or dad that just weren't around. And so my point about all this with my husband is, and when I bring up sexual abuse, that is something that I had to come to terms with. I still as a 39 year old woman trying to come to terms with that and heal with that. And I think it's just really important that we stay compassionate for people that have been through that, mm-hmm. especially in the Christian church that we remain kind of, which luckily my husband was not judgmental. He was like, mm-hmm. okay, thank you for telling me. Uh, and he always says how you're not out dancing on a pole. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a sense of humor. So there you go. There you go. So it wasn't difficult to bring him in. He was, he was just full of compassion and grace and that's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Now you're a mother. Yeah. Um, what was it like becoming a mother having, um, you know, the relationship that you have with your mom and your upbringing? Um, a lot of people without any sort of, uh, you know, childhood like yours, um, are sometimes just worried about being a parent to begin with. Am I going to do, you know, how am I going to connect with my kids? Am I going to, there's things I like about what my parents did and things I didn't like about what my parents did. And I think everyone goes through that. What was it like though, for you to come from your childhood and be the caregiver for your own mother and then realize I'm going to be a mom now. 
What were some yeah. of the thoughts going through your, what was that process like? Well, first of all, when I was younger, I was never going to have kids. And so if you would have asked me at 18, I was like, nope, not for me. Um, I don't want to pass this down. I probably have some genetics in me. I don't know. So then I went to college and I learned everyone in the world has a 1% chance. And then for me, it's like seven and then it's 14 and it gets higher at, with each one. And um, I, I never thought that I would fall in love and want to have children, but I did. And Actually, the one thing that I can say that helped me is that my mom was a really good mom for me the first seven years. You know how they say like you get the first seven years and those are the best years. I really feel like I was nourished by my mom. I feel like I had that. So I felt like I knew how to be a good mom and I was ready for the challenge when I was mature enough to understand that. But then what happened is when I had children in milestones, I was like, oh, what happened when I was like this age? And, you know, and so you start, you start almost like grieving mm. what you had lost again. And so rather than sitting in that sadness, because it's very easy to sit in a victim mentality, I would say, okay, how can I do this for my children and make this mm. almost like I can be healed through doing it cor the correct way. Mm. Um, that's not doesn't mean I'm a perfect parent because sure. we all have our moments where we lose our cool or, um, you know, being a homeschool mom, it's like every day we're, you know, but I think, I think that was actually one of the reasons why I decided to homeschool is I wanted to be a present parent. I wanted to impact my children. I wanted them to be raised in the faith mm. and, um, it was just, it was, it was a very active choice for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Was it a healing process at all for you to be a mom? Yes. Did it, did it bring healing to some of the wounds of your childhood to be able to be a mom to, to your girls? Yes. And after you give birth and you're all emotional and you're just like, oh, this is so beautiful. And then you understand like, thank you, mom. Like, thank you. You went through this for me. Right. And I think mm -hmm. we all have that experience where as we get older, our parents get a lot smarter. So for example, my mom, my mom never believed in mic microwaves, but now I'm like, yeah, it's radiation, you know? So sure. she was kind of ahead of her time. I'm not saying you can't use a microwave. I'm just, <laughs> she was, she was overly cautious about health because yeah. she wanted to do everything in her power to make sure that I didn't have her condition. Hmm. All right. You talk about faith being such a pivotal part for you. Um, yeah. and you talk about the alpha course, but where was faith first introduced for you? Was it with your mom growing up? Mm -hmm. When did that become like real to you, um, on your own? Okay. So I'm be raw about this. I don't want anybody to take offense, to certain denominations or anything like that. But, um, I was raised Catholic. Both of my parents were mm -hmm. Catholic and we had a strong Catholic background, you know, nuns and priests in the family. And, yep. Yep. um, and then it was, um, my mom had a strong faith, but because of her illness, it was fragmented. She just couldn't go to church, couldn't stay connected. Um, but still to this day, she's Catholic and that's great. Mm -hmm. Um, my dad didn't stay in his faith, but he believes that's the best. He believes Catholic way is the way, but I don't see him at church and I don't see him doing what sure. I would think a faith would do. So, um, my husband and I were Lutheran for many, many years because that's what he was. And we got married in the Lutheran church and it was great. We baptized our kids and, you know, we made lots of great friends and, um, but it got to a point where we wanted more. We were, mm -hmm. we wanted to have an active faith. We wanted to, um, dive into more of what, what it would look like to really live a life for Christ mm -hmm. and not just be 
um, going to church on Sunday because that's what good people do. We wanted to really, um, we were thirsty more. So we started coming to First Free and that just felt like home. It felt like, yes, we are, you know, because we're talking about tough issues like same-sex marriage, Mm -hmm. like mental illness, like, um, you know, addiction, porn addiction. And I think I'm someone that's a big advocate for talking about these things because they're really tough topics Mm -hmm. to talk about. Mm -hmm. But when we don't talk about it, we're not learning from it. Sure, sure, sure. Um, Then as faith started to kind of grip your own heart, because it sounds like some of your pillars, right? Uh, We're going to shift into your just heart for caregiving now. Yeah. Um, Are very, are very faith they seem very faith-based words, you know, they're, they don't seem, um, they don't see overly clinical words for, for caregiving. They seem more spiritually (laughs) based. Um, what was that process like for you to, to find that inner healing or that inner journey in this process of this, and then shift to, uh, you mentioned the alpha course, but then shift to like, I'm, I'm receiving healing myself. And now I really want to be an advocate to bring healing to others. It's so true. So you, you hit it right on the nail, I think, or the nail on the head. I think that, um, every guide that had been given to me was so clinical and I make sense of it. And I wanted to write a heart guide for other people, uh, to give them hope. So the book is a book of hope, but I want to get into where that came from. Um, I was actually on an online community on schizophrenia.com and I've, I'm on Facebook and, because I've been taking care of my mom for so long, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about Medicare, medical assistance, social workers, how to navigate when they don't want to take their meds. I mean, things that you just don't hear about, you don't know unless you are in this community. And so I joined schizophrenia.com, which was healing for me to help other people. And one day I was like scrolling and I just saw someone had posted like, you know how it's a thread. And then it said, do any other cares want to kill themselves? And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, hold up. And I clicked on it and, you know, a lot of people were like, hey, here's a number you can call. And, you know, it just made me kind of stop for a second and, and realize that what I had been seeing was that, like God has a heart for caregivers too. Like this is heavy stuff taking care of someone with mental illness because it's every day. It's every day. Like my phone rings and I don't know what it's going to be right now. And I've got kids and I've got a husband and I've got, you know, laundry and Mm -hmm. I never know when the next thing is going to fall. And there's so many things involved in being a caregiver. And a lot of these people are overwhelmed and they want to give up. They want to throw in the towel, usually not to the point of suicide, but it does happen. And it made me just stop and go, what does this one person need? What, what is it? Like, what are they missing? And I realized it was a number of things. I realized that, yes, it was number one, a belief, a faith system. I matter. There's a God that loves me more than anything. And I am going to mess up. I'm going to make wrong decisions for someone else or for myself. And I need to have faith and I need to have the grace. I need to know, like, I'm not perfect. So um, one of the Bible verses that I love about grace is the Galatians 6, 9. And it's, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. 
I don't give up, you know? And I think so many of us are trying to do it all perfectly, whether it's parenting, whether it's our aging parents and making decisions for them. We, we're going to mess up. So we have to give ourselves the grace to make those decisions, those errors, you know, we're going to mess up Mm. and then we're going to turn to God and we're going to surrender. And Mm. there's some other hard lessons in my book. I talk about boundaries. You know, I talk about um, making sure that you're okay first, that you're safe. Are you safe? Are they safe? Because if you have like an adult child living with you and they're banging holes in the wall and you don't safe, you have to change something and you have to draw boundaries. And many parents are afraid to do that. And that's what I'm seeing on the threads over and over again is kind of this feeling of I'm in dread. I'm stuck in my situation. I'm financially in the hole. And I thought this whole journey is so relatable. Like how many of us have felt like we're in a rut and we're stuck because of our situation, whether it was the way that we were brought up and raised or even just now. Look at the pandemic. So many people are trapped or feel trapped. And it's just a lie. It's just a lie. And so where I start in my book is number one, come to the father, come to the father and know that he's going to take care of it. I can just take a deep breath and know, okay, I, Lord, you've got this. And then it's um, prayer of petition, which I also talk about as a tool to just get out your Bible and just work it out with the Lord. Hmm. Hmm. So then um, hope, what's that hope aspect? Yeah. So hope is um, rejoicing in whatever happens, happens. So, you know, now I've given up control. I've given up Mm -hmm. surrender. And now it's hope that God is going to bring me something better. We're going mm-hmm. to we're going to improve and we're and we're going to change it in our minds first mm-hmm. before anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, couple last things. Uh, mm-hmm. You said even in this even in this episode, you've said a couple times about the idea of being broken goods. Um, yeah, the idea of feeling guilty, even sometimes in, in how you cared for your mom. Uh, whether it was, you said, tricking her or mm-hmm. setting things up and just feeling that guilt of, yeah. which I'm sure is a very common thing. Like I, I, but being able to see eye to eye with an individual and try to to communicate what it is that we need to do to help you get forward, but not being able to get there. And so just trying to find a way to, to still get that result. This is what we need. And uh, yeah. how have you over the years now, um, how have you found that healing? Yeah. If you have, how have you found that that restoration of who you are as a woman? Not mm-hmm. what has happened to you, not uh, the other influences outside of you. How have you found that that healing? We had an episode of of, uh, of this podcast that was, hello, where are you? Like, where yeah. are you? Where did you, where are you? I know are places where you're hiding. Where did you, where have you been able to to find you again in the midst of your story? Yeah, it's a total discovery of myself because before I didn't know what I was doing. The it was chaos. I there were no boundaries. Mm-hmm. Now it's because I know that the Lord is in control and I know that I can do this. It's a place of confidence and it's a place of surrender. Mm-hmm. So it may not be perfect, but I think it does transcend and, and it shows in my caregiving that it's that it's not up to me anymore. It's God is in control. 
And I'll be honest, I've learned a couple tri- tricks. Like when my mom doesn't want to get blood draws, I'm like, hey, yeah, you're not going to get that shake until we go get the blood draw. And she used to do it so many times to me where she would you know, talk me into getting the shake first yeah. or cold, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then she would be like, no, it gives me wrinkles. And I was yeah. like, what? Um, so there's all these little tricks that you do learn with, with growing up and just maturing, Mm -hmm. I guess. And, you know, I'm not a a little girl anymore dealing with this, but sometimes I still have to remind myself that I am an adult and I can handle this. And Mm -hmm. if I can't, I know God can. Yeah. 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 So are you able to say Rebecca's okay? Yeah. Rebecca's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm also able to say, that this is imperfect, you mm. know, and actually loving one with mental illness and I myself have anxiety. So I think it's just being the first to admit that this is an ongoing thing. And mm. I, that's why I need the Lord. That's why I need my Bible. That's why mm. I need every day to trust in him and mm. know that it's going, it's going to be okay. And I think that's why we need to talk about it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are little practical things that you would do on a daily basis that is your way of saying, I'm giving myself grace? Like, how do yeah. you, like, is it, uh, I'm going to take an hour and go do something else. I'm going to, how do you recharge and give yourself that, that freedom, that grace to be able okay? to I'll tell you exactly what I do every day. Every day it starts with my Bible and my coffee because I'm not a morning person. So I got to have my coffee and I have to rely on him. And if I don't have a lot of time, it's a devotional. But right Mm -hmm. now I'm combing through the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. So that's my refreshment. I do that before kids, before homeschool, before checking on my mom, Mm -hmm. before any of that. I do me first and I do it with God. So that's number one. And then number two, how do I give myself grace? Yeah, like instead of cooking that gourmet supper, we're having grilled cheese. And this is like such a... (laughs) Like aha moment for me. That is because so I love good to cook. though. Yes. So good. Yeah. Like some days it's an order pizza day and I just am going to shut the door. Um, many moms do this where we go to the bathroom and we're like in there a while, but kids mm-hmm. will find you still. So, you know, um, I talk about, I actually have really good ideas in the book about how to nurture yourself, how to go out in nature, how to be adventurous. Mm-hmm. So like focusing your attention on that can help you with your anxiety and depression as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm all for medication, but for the majority of us, we can really get rejuvenated with a good night's sleep and some like a date the next day. Right. Yeah. So yeah. my yeah, husband yeah. and I yeah. do a date every week. We have not uh, given up our dates, not even during COVID. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I, uh, you know, I just tend to be a hyper perfectionist in myself and there yeah. have been many moments in my own trying to have a healing process in that, um, where I just like, there's a mantra I tell myself every once in a while, it's okay to yeah. let a ball drop. It's okay to yeah. let a ball drop. And yeah. sometimes like, that's the thing, like the <laughs> mental image is just like everything that you're juggling, career, aspirations, creativity, family, marriage, like the house, yeah. all of it. And it just seems yeah. like this constant, I'm just spinning it. And not only are you spinning it, I want to yeah. spin it perfectly. I want to do it all perfectly. And some of that comes from that, you know, that drive for excellence. And some of it comes from Mm. wounds. Some of it comes from like the insecurities and the pains that if I don't do it, then am I less than? And so you juggle them, you juggle them and juggle them. And sometimes I just have to tell myself, it's okay if that ball drops. 100%. Okay. If that ball drops, I'll pick it back up. I'll keep going, but it's okay if that ball drops. And I wonder if that's something that, uh, 
even some of the listeners here need to hear. It's okay to let them all drop. Everyone can I say, I noticed that a little bit about you because I love your sermons and I love your podcast and I noticed a little bit of perfectionism and I think, I think we all have it, but I'm like the first to say like some days I'm going to go out without makeup and I'm going to be in yoga pants. And I think it's really healthy to show that to our kids. Like we don't have to always be perfect. And that's a hard one. It was a hard one for me this year to buy Crocs. <laughs> I thought Crocs, absolutely not. That is for who's who's wearing these things. And then I was at my uh, I was at my in laws, and if you know me, I'm either wearing these like dress shoes, right, like these yeah. uh, these fancy dress shoes with like the no show socks on it, or I'm wearing these giant Red Wing boots. And uh, it is not convenient to always have to put on these giant renewing boots when you go out to the car to just get something that you left in the car. And I was at my in-laws and I slipped on my father-in-law's Crocs one day and uh, I came back in and I looked at him and I said, I hate that I don't hate these. <laughs> I hate that I don't hate it. And then I, I got a yeah. pair. My, my wife bought me a pair and I went to the gas station in them and I felt like an absolute slob. <laughs> but, but then it, it hit me like, it's okay. It's okay. You don't, you don't always have to be wearing uh, the fancy chino pants and the dress shoes and the, it's okay. You can, and you know what? People love you even more for it. Okay. Though I I still have not yet to believe that one, Rebecca, but uh, (laughs) 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 yes, your, your example, it's okay to just go out in the yoga pants for me. It's okay. Every once in a while, just throw on the Crocs to go outside. Uh, It's okay to let a ball drop. I think Mm -hmm. people just need to hear that. It's okay to let a ball drop, whether you are a spouse and you're trying to maintain the perfect marriage, if you are a parent and you're trying to have the perfect kids, if you're a caregiver, if you're a professional, whatever it might be. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Life's going to happen every once in a while and it's okay that a ball drops. It's okay that a ball drops. The other thing that's helpful is a good laugh and a 30 minute orgasm, which you can read about in my book. If uh, if people were not already prepared to buy your book, I think <laughs> I think you just sold it. I think you just sold it. I should it. have said that in the beginning. Oh, but we didn't get to talk no, about my story. No. Can I tell you quick about? It, it doesn't have to do with that because I'm not. We have to. No, give, I'll have to give a parental warning if if it has to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. I was talking about the problem that there aren't places for people to go that need to rehabilitate. So um, the goal is to always have people live independently, no matter what the age. Um, So if it's 18 or it's 80, you want them to live independently. But if they're not able to, many of them are not. They, what they do is they live with their parents or a sister or something, and it, it's not always healthy. So one of the things that was really controversial that I talked about in my book was it's not prison to be in assisted living. It's not prison to be in a CBRF. But the issue is that there just aren't very many right now. So I'm announcing that I'm officially working on creating more. I have a goal. God has laid this on my heart to um, in the lacrosse area and hopefully beyond in other states once I can figure this out. I'd like to create more housing for the mentally ill. And it's actually a problem here in lacrosse County. I don't know exactly why I'm working. I'm working with um, like uh, city people. I'm working with uh, landlords and, the, and I'm asking questions, trying to figure out what we need to do to make this change. But I'm announcing it as accountability because Personally, this is where I see myself going is 
trying to create um, places for people that they can, whether it's short-term or long-term, and I'm not quite sure, but maybe somebody's listening to this and they have a heart for um, this thing and they want to contact me, then they can do that. And yeah, that's my goal. And my goal- a brand new project, a new project of uh, creating more housing for individuals with mental illness and in need of housing units- Yes. And if someone is listening to this, absolutely. Like how do they contact through your cheering past yeah, challenges? Cheering past challenges. Yep. Go to the website got, and contact you. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Rebecca. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. All right. Because, what is, because the story is that I was a recipient of that as a kid mm-hmm. and I had never had like a sit down meal with my mom before. Like, I mean, not like this. And, and she was um, in a CBRF and it was all women And I still get choked up when I think about the good food and the prayer and um, these women being there for other women. And my mom made some of the best friends ever from Mm -hmm. living and and going through that um, situations together and going through mental health struggles together. So that has inspired me. And we've stepped away from having home-like residential facilities. Now it's more kind to me, it feels more clinical, feels more like Mm -hmm. a hospital and who wants to live in a hospital? I don't. So we've got to figure out a way to create more homes where people are independent, but they're also being helped with their meds and other stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So how beautiful. Um, what's, uh, what's the last thing that you want to say to anyone who might be a caregiver might feeling be feeling overwhelmed, might be the person who's on some of those um, mental illness website threads and community boards who are reaching out. Mm-hmm. What um, What's something you want to leave this episode with and saying to them? You are not a lost cause. If you suffer from mental health, you are not a lost cause. When there's something of, um, my mom had on her TV, it was a little thing of all these different nuts. And then it said, we are all a little nuts. I was like, I love that. I love that so much. And the reality is like, we all suffer from some anxiety. We've all like been up at night and worried or depression, but for people that they deal with it every day, like they're not a lost cause. They matter. So if this is you and you're hearing this and you're like, man, I've been feeling down, like you are not a lost cause. If you are a caregiver, um, God has appointed you and given you a special gift and a special blessing. And I talk about that because you can look at it as a curse, but it's not. It's a it's a wonderful way to learn, and it's humbling, and you know it's going to be hard. But you through that you can receive these gifts of grace and hope, mm-hmm. and God is entrusting you. So you're doing something right because God has given you this gift that you get to give to someone else. And so that's that's what I'd like to leave you with, mm-hmm. Rebecca Stewart. Wife, mother, survivor, (laughs) homeschool teacher, podcast host, author, and now going to be developer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Homes. Thank you for joining me. Again, anyone who's listening, please, please go to amazon.com. Find her book, Unbinding Love. Go to cheeringpastchallenges.com. You can listen to her podcast there. You can also reach out to her if you have an interest in some of that housing ventures. Thank you, Rebecca, for joining me here. Uh, It was an honor to hear your story. So thank you very much. Thank you, John. God bless you. Thank you. All right. See you guys. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the John Reiner Podcast.